Hello and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture Podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the areas of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams deliver value to their organizations in advancing strategy, optimizing operations, and reducing and managing risks. In this session, we speak to Sam Hulkman. Sam is Managing Director of the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence and the Business Architecture Center of Excellence. Sam begins a story of how he entered into the area of enterprise architecture through working with John Zachman. And then Sam's talked about how he's developed an educational course that the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence has developed that focuses on the skills that enterprise architects need beyond the technicalities of things like Archimate and TOGAF, knowing enterprise architecture languages or enterprise architecture processes, but rather focusing on how do enterprise architects make what they do consumable to humans in the enterprise that aren't enterprise architects. So let's go to that session now. So Sam, welcome to the podcast today. It's a very great pleasure to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know you're uh, well known in the enterprise architecture community, but um, perhaps it'd be great for our listeners who haven't heard of you, if you could just introduce yourself, maybe give us a little potted history of your career and how you've ended up where you're at today. Very good. Well, thank you and, and, and Biz Design for uh, this opportunity. Uh, I always enjoy, uh, enjoy talking to people about this topic, but uh, let's go back a couple of days. Uh, I've been at this since 1972, well before it was popular. And the reason for that is my bachelor's degree is in biomedical engineering, uh, which was a combination of the sciences and in the engineering field. And almost by accident, I got into the world of technology. Uh, as we joke in the field, it sounds kind of funny in biomedical engineering, but the problem was we couldn't get fatal volunteers. <laughs> so we had to look for a different approach to simulate human beings. And that was where all of this started in looking at how to uh, build a surrogate, a technology surrogate of a human being. So I got into writing software and realized there was no real engineering discipline about this. So for some reason, I decided to do something about it uh, and look at it from the beginning of what we consider the life cycle. And when we look at life cycles, we say architect, analyze, design, assemble solutions. That's what I learned from engineering, architect, analyze, design, assemble solutions. And of course, what we saw in technology with a little bit of joke was construct, maintain, 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 construct, maintain, maintain, maintain. So that's how we, I got into this area. And as far as enterprise architecture, it became very, very popular uh, in those years when Dewey Walker from IBM started chatting about this in the late 60s, early 70s. And he, along with a very famous person in uh, technology and enterprise architecture, John Zachman, started publishing things. And of course, for those of you that are listening and you know enterprise architecture, that was sort of what people thought was the roots of this. And John and I began an organization called Ziffa, the Zachman Institute for Framework Advancement. And that led into our consulting activities in both enterprise architecture and a related skill called soft skills. How do you actually talk to human beings about enterprise architecture is what that course is about. 
Well, that's well, a little snapshot ask, about me. I wanted to ask you about that because I, I had a smile as I was reading it, and I just wanted to read out here. So this is a course that your organization runs called Soft Skills for Architects Workshop, and I love the intro to this. I'm going to read it out now verbatim. It says, an architect may have mastered the process, tools, and templates of developing architectures. However, it is impossible to develop architecture in a vacuum, dot, dot, dot. But tell us about the genesis of this course. What led you, of all the things you could do, Sam, why this course? And, and what are the outcomes people are going to get from it? Okay. Fantastic. Well, what we realized is that most technology organizations, not all, don't have a seat at the big person's table, as we like to call it. And you got to think about it. Why? Why is it? Why is that? Is it because we're not producing enough diagrams? Is it we're not producing 700 pages of text? We think it's about the ability to explain to people about what we are actually doing in a, as we like to say, human consumable manner. And we use the phrase human consumable manner because what you and I have to do, the technology people have to do, is to study the ability of human beings to understand things. And so as we get more and more into this understanding and the technology bombardment that people have every day, people's attention spans getting, getting, get shorter and shorter. So for example, when it comes to diagrams, there is a rule out there for people that study human beings and, and their ability to understand, it's called the seven plus or minus two rule, which means that if you put something in front of somebody with more than nine things, they can't understand it. And so we have to talk about that. How do you do as a technologist, as an architect, figure that out? We have the concept of repeated understandings. This one scares me. It takes on average, I didn't say maximum, on average, seven times in this crazy world we're in that you tell somebody something and it actually holds. <laughs> that's, an, that's amazing. Right. And then the third aspect of things is how do we take what we do and less than 90 seconds explain that to somebody? It doesn't mean they're going to know how to uh, do it, but understand what's going on. So all of these things led us to start looking a little bit at these areas. That takes us to the Walt Disney companies. One of our clients from, from quite, quite a long time, they have an organization called Disney University, I mean, believe it or not. And you, not just uh, corporations, but individuals can go and learn, as they call it, the Disney way. Well, one of the people there, a gentleman named uh, Ken Nagus, was in this organization, and I befriended him, and we started chatting about what he was doing, and I went to his course in the Disney way of how to actually treat people as, for example, the phrase they use is not customer, they use the phrase guest. They don't use the word employee, they use the term cast member. So what are they doing in that company? They're putting on a, an act, a play for you. That's the relationship, not customer, but actually a guest. So I started talking Ken about what we were doing and he looked at me and said, what is that? <laughs> and basically to make a long story short, 
he was the one that designed a good portion of this course, and he is part of our organization that teaches this concept of soft skills. What we've done is taken that generic world of how to get people to recognize things and actually tuned it to people that are in the enterprise architecture world. Let me ask you this question, Sam. I'm intrigued. When you sort of position this course with an enterprise architect, is the challenge convincing them that this is necessary in the first place? Or do enterprise architects generally get the value of this course, but it's just the tools you have to teach them? Is it, is it, is it preaching to the choir? Are you just going to sing them and teach them a new song? Or is it actually converting them in the first place? Well, I wish I was preaching to the choir. We have to drag them to this course kicking and screaming because people look at it as they have a deficiency. They have a deficiency. There's no deficiency. When you have, for example, you go to school, why do you keep taking courses to learn more and more and more? But for some reason, a lot of people look at this as charm school. (laughs) And so what we find is that the best audience we have for this course, whether it's comfortable for us or not, is some organization says, I have a group of people that want to Uh, or possibly need, I guess that term is even better, need these skills. And so if you have four or six people sitting around a table, no one feels like they're being uh, uh, singled out for this type of thing. And when we actually give the course, you can see the first day or so, everybody's like this, very tight, you know, looking around here. And then as after a few days, because we actually do, this is not a passive course, we call it a workshop not a seminar. We actually get them interacting with each other. And some people are comfortable, frankly, and some people are still a little, you know, tight when it comes to this. But we look at it as, you know, and and I I hope this analogy is good and, and, and not offensive. You teach your child how to behave in society. Well, sometimes we have to recognize an organization is a society And we've got different folks that possibly need a little bit more care and feeding uh, to interact with that. So what we look for at the end of the course is we joke, is we look at the person and say, have you gotten at least one thing you want to try Monday morning? Then we know we're successful. And hopefully everybody says we got more than one. But if we get one, uh, you know, that's great. So that's where we are as far as acceptance. It's That's difficult, really. Interesting. Really. So some people take this as an indictment on them, that there's some shortcoming of them. And I, I fondly remember back, you know, I've been from the UK originally. The, the Brits sometimes have a reputation that if you don't speak English, then there's no point speaking to you. And everyone should speak English. And if they're speaking, I mean, this was famous of my grandparents' generation. If someone from France doesn't understand you, all you have to do is speak slowly and more loudly and eventually they'll understand you. And sometimes I feel like when you see IT in the business, it's just increasing levels of volume, more and more shouting, more and more frustration, because it's not about the volume. It's not about the pace. What you're saying, Sam, it's about the language. You have to change the language you use. And you and I were chatting earlier. And when I first came across enterprise architecture, I was incredibly intimidated by TOGAF and Archimate and these diagrams and these secret symbols. It just seemed like a you know, a, a, a secret club, a secret society that I couldn't understand. And uh, I know oftentimes that uh, enterprise architects struggle with that translation exercise. Well, what you hit on 
is something that I think is very important for the profession and for us is that there's two audiences. One is the architect and the other is the customer. And the reason I mention that is that if you think about us as the architects, what is the end product we're looking for? So I always, I give this example in our course. What are the people that are paying the bill looking for? Ingredients and a recipe, or are they looking for the chocolate cake? <laughs> they're looking for the chocolate cake. That's what they're looking for. Yes. And all the stuff in between there, there may be a few people that may be interested, maybe. And then there may be a few people that want to watch you make the chocolate cake. Or if you want to get a little bit more grotesque, watch you make the sausage. <laughs> but most people are looking for that end product. And we as architects have to recognize that these diagrams and these pictures and these arrows and these maps and these all these other things are actually intermediate steps to what the actual customer wants. And so that's part of what we have to recognize. We're proud of this. So we try to you know, pump up our chest and say, hey, look what we did here. We just draw this, we put this diagram on here. There are 674 different symbols. Aren't we great? Last week, we only had 117 of those. Now we got 687. Well, maybe we got to rethink this, but it's an audience thing. We got to recognize there's an audience, architect to architect, excruciating levels of detail, excruciating levels of understanding. And then there is the customer facing view of what this is. Now, I'm not talking detail. This is where people get this wrong. They, you know, they, one of the phrases that is a bit frustrating to me is, you know, minimal viable product. Well, what does that, what does that actually mean? Does it mean fast? Can you actually build something? Can you actually enable a strategy? Or is it because people, what we believe will, is they're frustrated. The business people are frustrated. So they say, that's enough. The other phrase we have to be careful of talking about human consumability is the phrase, can you live with this? You know what that means? It means that the meeting ended at five o'clock. We're not done. We don't get it, but we're tired. It means that we have again been able to explain to people what we're doing. So come on, can you live with this? Of course, what is that other phrase that we use? We're kicking the can down the road. All, right. all about human consumability, all about the soft skills that you and I have to use to recognize when we're seeing that disconnect. Because I do want all of us, especially EAs, to have a seat at the big person's table. Do you think we're some of it get sounds- that seat? Yeah. If we give them something they need. Do you think that some of it, Sam, might be that architects sometimes are known as the guys who say no? You are not passing the architectural review board. I'm afraid you, although you want to have this out next week, you've got to follow the uh, design patterns and I'm afraid you're going to have to. Is it is it because I have to deliver bad news that I feel required to give you the 15,000 pages of reasons behind the bad news? What's your thoughts on that? What you have is a situation where there are EA organizations that are policing functions. And what we have to realize as EAs is we are custodians. We don't own anything. Let me repeat, we don't own anything. And I am going to mention something here. I only use it once. 
And that's the term that I think is underlying all of this that we really have to be careful of. And that term that we need to ban, and I don't joke about that in IT, is the word user. That is a mental condition, once again, coming back to the soft skills. And here's the bit of a joke, and I hope it's taken as a joke, but with a seriousness underneath it. There's only two professions that use the term user for the people that pay the bill. One is the illicit drug trade, and the other is IT. And the parallels are scary. We get them hooked, and we charge them more and more for less product. Now, I did it with a bit of humor, but that word user is something, once again, from a soft skills standpoint, we have to think about. These are not users. They are stakeholders, customers. And again, coming back to the Disney Corporation, why do they call you and I guests? Because the guest pays the bill. And you and I as architects, EAs especially, have to recognize that we are a service organization. Our products are worthless if the business is not being enabled to meet their strategic objectives. That's what we have to recognize. So part of that is soft skills, a little bit of humbling, but also the ability to recognize there's that, you know, that, that partnership. Well, the other thing we've seen, of course, over at least the last decade right now, but is this emergence of shadow IT, is the business units can now vote with the dollars. Hey, IT, you, you ain't going to deliver that to me? I hold the budget here. And then we end up with these sprawling uh, IT estates filled with shadow IT solutions because the IT organization is not serving the customer. Yeah. What's your views on that? We look spot on, Will. Uh, all of these things... Um, I don't have religion, so to speak, about any of this. For example, outsourcing. Is that a recognition that we can't do it inside? Is it a recognition of frustration? Is it a skill situation? Or is it what we truly consider to be one of, we need an an, uh, an interim amount of capacity for a certain period of time, and we're going to hire some outside resources and move, move inside. So all of those are what people use. And so as, as you said, you have a situation where it's frustration. And the easiest way to solve the frustration is to just close the door and divert some money somewhere. But as you know, you're actually disintegrating the enterprise. This is what we have to get people to recognize. Let's fix the frustration. But as I mentioned, we're actually disintegrating the enterprise by having all these semi-small fiefdoms pop up. And you know what happens? I think most of us recognize after a while, they come back to the IT organization and say, mush it all together. <laughs> and then you've got, uh, I mean, I do, my, I, to be honest, because I've been on the development side as well, I've run a development team, is I do feel for the IT organizations who will say, listen, you can do this, but it's going to bring on a bunch of technical debt. And the business leader says, well, how, when's that technical debt going to come back and bite me? And the IT guys, I don't know how long, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. The business guy's like, I'm thinking about next quarter. I'm not thinking about five years from now. So that sounds like a problem for future me to worry about. Go ahead and take the shortcut. But who's left holding, you know, carrying the baby five years from now? It's IT, right? Yeah. All of us remember year, well, some of us online remember year 2000. And I bring to my audience, I just pose a question to them. Anybody 
here about year 2038, I get this quizzical look. Well, I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be retired or whatever the phrase is that they use. Well, year 2038 is when anything that's written, a bit of technology with a 32-bit operating system is going to have the same issue as year 2000 has. And I don't have the exact date in front of me. You can, anyone can, can look it up. But let me suggest to you that this problem makes the year 2000 problem look like a pimple. Year 2038, it's everything, every piece of hardware and software that has a piece of software in it or an integrated circuit that has embedded code is subject to this issue. Massive, massive. So you know what happens in year 2038, whatever that date is, I think it's in March. The next day, all of these little fiefdoms start blowing up also. Now, you know what's going to happen. Eventually, people will recognize, hey, you know, 20, year 2038 is, is kind of far away, but maybe we should start looking at it. Or people start looking at the fractionization going on and saying, well, maybe it's time to do something a little bit different. So let's come full circle here. I think it's frustration. We, as the EAs, should be the lead organization. With all due respect to IT, it's not the development folks. It's the EA folks that should lead this. You got the blueprint, and then you have the implementation. As I say, you architect, you implement, you engineer, you manufacture. The EAs are sitting in that group, not because they're more important, but they are the first group of people they are trying to represent what you're trying to do. So we have that lead and we can lead with those soft skills and with those EA skills, I hope. I should have to find out what that date is and make sure I book that off. <laughs> book that vacation day, huh? <laughs> it's there, Will, and um, it's not that far away. So Sam, bring us on home. Um, we're right towards the end of the podcast here. If you had to leave our audience with just three things, not seven this time, because we would have recognized the memory register there, but just three things they should take away from this. What, what would they be? Fantastic. One I'd like to say to the audience, soft skills are for everyone. It's not a charm school situation. It's one where all of us in technology really need to recognize that we need to communicate, not only uh, develop things for ourselves, but communicate those things in a human consumable manner. Number two, I hope the audience recognizes, to me, learning is constant. Every day, hopefully, you learn something new. And same thing here. So if those soft skills are a bit uncomfortable for you, perhaps a bit of learning will add to your, to your, uh, to your skill set. Third one that we emphasized in our uh, uh, discussion today, let's us all remember who the customer actually is. I think that would serve us really well, not just as EAs, but also in technology. Those are the three that I would suggest are top of mind. Sam, thanks very much for a great summary there. And to use a Disney phrase, thank you for being my guest today on this uh, podcast. Um, it was a great pleasure to speak to you. And I hope we can have you back on again soon. But Sam, thanks so much and have a fantastic day. My pleasure, Will, to you and Biz Design. Thank you again. Let's go do some soft skills too. <laughs> you got it. So I hope you enjoyed that session with Sam. And I think that was a great summary about the three things that enterprise architects need. 
soft skills, and it's not about charm school, as he says, but it's about communication and acknowledgement and embracing that learning is constant. And finally, and I think this is a lesson for all of us, remembering who the customer is. It was a great session with Sam, and we hope we have him back on this uh, podcast at some time in the future as well. For more podcasts, blogs, and recorded webinars, please visit us at bizdesign.com, where there's a wealth of information available. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd encourage you to leave a review on the podcast platform you use. If you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, Will Scott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. BizDesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software that supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations, with a key focus on the value outcomes of strategy advancement, operational efficiency, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time today. Thank you.